Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people. Before we get started with today's program, you can learn more about us, our free events, how to donate, the podcast, and much more when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael in the second part of his teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 about how the crucifixion of Jesus is an example of God's wisdom. Have you heard it in our day and age? You'll maybe flip on a comedian or you'll, you'll watch a TV show and there it goes. They go down the mock trail. They want to mock Christianity. They mock the cross. They mock people who believe. Although the country they live in was founded on biblical principles. So here's where we are today. And it's no different from where the Corinthian congregation was in their day. The word of the cross. See, see the word word there in verse 18. That's, that's the lagos or the message of the cross as it's uh, translated in some versions. Is to those who are perishing, what is it? It's foolishness. Now remember how we've talked about the difference between the wise person and the fool? Here, the person that is perishing has categorized the cross as foolishness. That's, they might say, ridiculous. How could a man, have you heard this before, dying on a cross 2,000 years ago have any bearing on my life today? And so they marginalize the cross, they mock the cross, and it may be that in the Corinthian congregation, since the Corinthian culture was re-permeating itself into the church, that the people were tiring of the message of the cross. Maybe they were saying, we want to get back into some cool rhetoric. We want to get back into, maybe the, the centerpiece of the preaching on Sunday morning should be a story or an anecdote or something, you know, maybe, maybe kind of a, something that's going on in the headlines. But, but let's, let's get over that Bible stuff. Years ago, I had a friend who was talking to a lady. She was attending a certain fellowship, which will remain unnamed. And uh, she was pontificating about what she liked about it. I, I like this. I like that. I like this. And my friend said, well, do, do they teach the Bible? And the woman's response was, no, I don't want to go somewhere and listen to the Bible for 45 minutes. <laughs> my friend was a bit taken back by that. So what, what is it that you want to do in church? Well, we, we know some of the answers, right? We want to be entertained. We, we'd like to kind of keep it brief so we can get on with the rest of our normal day. But see, that's not who the church is. But that is the philosophy of many in our world. The word of the cross, the message of the cross is to those who are, would you note it? Perishing. The word perishing is a strong word. It's apolumi in the Greek, and it means to be destroyed fully. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish. They will have everlasting life. What's at stake here? Who said that? Jesus. God so loved the world that he said he gave his son. That's why I'm here, Jesus might say. I'm here on a rescue mission. And the world and the people of, you know, Paul's day could say, ah, that's ridiculous. But for us who are being saved, it's the power of God. He is the power of God. To those who are perishing, it's foolishness. It's the Greek word moria, 
where we get moronic, it's silliness, it's absurdity. Phillips has it as nonsense. But to us who are being saved, sozo, the Greek word, it's the power of God. You see, when I talk about my faith, I say I'm saved. Saved from what, you might ask? Think about it. What are you saved from? Judgment. Jesus Christ, when he died on that cross, was taking the wrath of God in your place. Sometimes I've had the chance to describe the gospel and explain it, and there have been people who have been around religious things for quite some time, and they say, I've never heard it put that way, that Jesus was taking the wrath of God, taking my shame and my punishment at the cross. I never got that before. That is part of the message But what held him to the cross, and you've heard this before, is not nails, it's love. It's God's love on display. God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to what? To everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and also to the Gentile or to the Greek. The gospel, please hear this, is the dunamis power of God. If you don't preach the gospel, then you take away the power. So you could be impressed with flowery speech or rhetoric. You can hear eloquent speeches and great stories told. But if the cross or the gospel of Jesus Christ is not preached, it will be void of power. And here's my concern in our day. I'm not sure we trust that the message has power. But it does. And that's what Paul says. Paul was educated. He was strong. Yet he said, this is what I preach. What polar opposites we have here from those who say the message is moronic to those who say the message is salvific. (laughs) Could you be any more apart? Some people say, that's foolish. And some people say, that saves me. And here's the real question. Who's right? Can I, can I as a person, no matter what time I've lived in history in the last 2,000 years, just simply dismiss that cross, dismiss Christ and say, eh, I don't care. I'm not even going to think about it. You can try. But to those who don't embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the Bible says they're going to perish. What does that mean to perish? It means that you're going to have to take the judgment that Jesus took at the cross because you don't want his payment for you. Nah, don't want it. Okay. Then you know where you get to go? You get to go and face the God of Sinai, (laughs) who the Bible describes as being a consuming fire so radical when he descended upon that mountain that he said, if people cross the boundaries or they do the wrong thing, they're going to die on the spot. No one can see me and live. That's how holy he is. He spoke this universe into existence. He designed your eye, your circulatory system, your beating heart, reproduction, self-healing, The six million forms of plants and animals are his. You and I exist because of him. He deserves the glory. 
And yet he condescended to die on a cross. The creator came down to die on a cross. And in the Greek mind, they thought, no, that's beneath God. A God would never do that. A God would demonstrate power and authority. That cross cannot be accurate, they might say. That doesn't fit with my philosophical worldview. That doesn't fit with my view of gods and goddesses and the pantheon of gods and goddesses. That doesn't fit with a God that's some sort of superhero. Why would they condescend to die in that manner? Why? That's the question. Why? Love. That's why. But see, in the Greek mind, this seemed ridiculous to them. And the idea of a death and resurrection, they they wanted to push that aside as well. But Jesus, in the very history in which we are embedded, brothers and sisters died that we might live. For it is written, verse 19, Paul's going to quote several Old Testament texts. I think six times he'll cite Old Testament uh, texts in the verses coming up through chapter 3. But notice he says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, speaking of the wisdom of the world, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Now, this is what God says. God says, I'm going to destroy human wisdom and the cleverness of the clever. I'm going to set it aside. That's what God says. He says, all the people who think they're so smart, the Johnny-come-latelys, they're going to be nothing when it's all said and done. They will simply be dismissed. Do you remember the story that Jesus told of the Uh, Ten virgins, five of them were wise, five of them were foolish, right? And the wise ones had oil for their lamps, the foolish did not. And so the, the, the herald came and said, the bridegroom is coming, the bridegroom is coming. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Time for the wedding. Well, the five foolish virgins said, give us some of your oil. And they said, no, we can't, you go buy some. And they went into the wedding feast. And then the five foolish showed up at the door and they said, let us in, let us in. And the host opens the door and says, depart from me. I don't know who you are. There's people who say that the oil represents the Holy Spirit in the story. Don't know for sure, but I'll tell you this. The difference between the wise and the foolish is simply this. The wise were ready for the wedding day. They were ready for the bridegroom. But the foolish were not. They had other plans, other priorities, other channels of wisdom, if you will. The quotation in verse 19 is from Isaiah 29, 14. In verse 19 from Isaiah 29, 14. You might want to write that down. Isaiah's teaching will have its ultimate fulfillment in the last days when all men's philosophies and objections to the gospel will be swept away. Christ will reign unopposed and unobstructed as Lord of Lords and King of Kings, Revelation 17, 14. All of man's wisdom will become ashes. But the prophecy also has an immediate, a more immediate significance to the time of Isaiah and fulfillment, which serves to illustrate uh, the ultimate fulfillment. When Isaiah made the prophecy, Shennacherib, the king of Assyria, was planning to conquer Judah. The Lord told his prophet not to worry or fear because the king's plan would fail. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. 
You can now listen to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance wherever you go and whenever you want. That's because Walk in Truth can now be heard on your favorite podcast app. Apps like iPodcast, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and much more. Simply open up your favorite podcast app and search Walk in Truth. Make sure you subscribe so you'll know when a new show is available. Thanks for listening and partnering with Walk in Truth. Hey, Shane Lance here, and I wanted to take a quick moment and encourage you to subscribe to our devotional called A Step Closer. This is a quick read from scripture with a little bit of commentary, and it's a great way to keep you growing in your walk with the Lord. In our crazy society right now, with all the things we jam-pack into our schedule, I'll be the first to admit that sometimes it's hard to find time to study God's Word. But it is so important as we grow in our relationship with the Lord to study His Word. It's such a vital aspect to our walk. You can text Step Closer as one word to 33222. Again, that's Step Closer as one word to 33222. We really believe here at Walk in Truth that this can be a great instrument in helping you grow in your relationship with the Lord. So once again, we'd encourage you to subscribe to our devotional called A Step Closer, and you can text Step Closer as one word to 33222. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Revelation 17, 14. All of man's wisdom will become ashes. But the prophecy also has an immediate, a more immediate significance to the time of Isaiah and fulfillment, which serves to illustrate and, uh, the ultimate fulfillment. When Isaiah made the prophecy, Shennacherib, the king of Assyria, was planning to conquer Judah. The Lord told his prophet not to worry or fear because the king's plan would fail. But it would not fail because of the strength of Judah's army or their so-called alliance with Egypt or because of the strategy of King Hezekiah or his advisors. The wisdom of their wise men would perish. The discernment of their discerning men would be concealed, Isaiah 29, 14. Judah would be saved solely by God's power without any human help. In fact, later on in the book of Isaiah, one angel destroys 185,000 Assyrians in one night. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. That's why in the Bible, the armies of Israel would often have worship leaders going before them, singing unto the Lord. The, the Lord would say, reduce your numbers. You have too many. Let's get it down to 300. What do you mean, Lord? They have thousands upon thousands upon thousands. Don't worry about it. The battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. This is biblical wisdom. The application to the cross, obvious. You can't save yourself. Jesus saves the application to the cross and the, the, the fit of the Old Testament quotation is this. The, the God of the Old Testament is the God of the new. And just like in the old times, he would ask Israel to trust him, even though it didn't make sense, even though the plan didn't seem to make sense. What do you mean march around the, the city for seven days singing with the trumpets in front? <laughs> What do you mean, hallelujah, and the walls will come down? We've got to have a better plan. Maybe we can catapult some of our soldiers over the wall. Maybe we can breach the wall. That sounds pretty good. Maybe we can create a machine to win this war. What do you mean praise and worship is going to knock the walls down? Well, 
Did the walls fall down? Yes, they did. There's even archaeological evidence that we found that shows this area of the world and the walls destroyed. How, how could this be? This is so counter the wisdom of the world. Precisely. God says, you trust me and I'll do the work. Man, I am still trying to figure that one out. Anybody else? You see, the ultimate expression of trust is to trust somebody else to get me where I'd like to be, which is heaven. And Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you. I'm going to come again. I'm going to receive you to myself that where I am there, you may be also. Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one is coming to my Father's house except through me. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, if there was not a heaven, I would have told you. I'm going, but I'm coming again. This is biblical wisdom, centered, found in the person of Jesus Christ. And so, what's the message? What's the point? of the quotation, precisely this. It's not your power. It's not your planning. It's not your persuasive words. It is the Lord and the Lord's power that will accomplish his work in his, in his wisdom. And what man is asked to do is to trust God. Believe. And that may be one of our biggest challenges, especially in the pressures of the culture, especially when we're facing a professor mocking our Christianity especially when we're out on the street and we try to share the gospel and someone laughs in our face and we think, oh, here we go. Martin Lloyd-Jones has commented, he says, the whole drift towards modernism that has blighted the church and nearly destroyed its living gospel may be traced to an hour when men began to turn from revelation to philosophy. One writer says, because of his own philosophy, uh, it did not allow for the miraculous. The very influential German theologian Rudolf Boltmann, for example, decided to demythologize the Bible, to identify the supposed myths to, and to consider only what remained to be God's word. That is, he decided in advance what God's word could and could not be. He relied on his own wisdom to determine God's wisdom. In doing so, he tried to make God in his own human image. When man tries on his own to determine what God is like, what his will is, and what he can and cannot do, the creature merely creates an imaginary God, an idol in his own image, and to his own egotistic satisfaction. When human philosophy is in any way imposed upon God's revelation, revelation loses. Do you see that happening today? I'm spiritual, but my God does this and this. My God would never do that. Well, your God is a figment of your own imagination, my friend. You can make up a God or a goddess or whatever you want to call it and make it into your image or make it palatable to your mind to fit with the philosophical views of the day. But in the end, I ask you, will that God save you? 
You know, when Israel was embracing and imbibing the gods of the nations, God warned them. He said, look, I don't want you going after their gods. I don't want you to embrace their ways. They, they do this and they do that. And, it, and God says, it's detestable. It's abominable to me. But what did Israel do? Yeah, Israel's like, yeah, 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 we'll follow God. Sure, sure, good, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then what did they do? Even Solomon, to appease his hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of wives, <laughs> went up to the high places and made uh, abominable images to false gods. And God was displeased with Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, save Jesus himself, which Shows you, it goes to show you, that anybody, no matter how wise they may be, how uh, grounded in Scripture they may be, can be captivated by worldly wisdom. John MacArthur says, the reason men love complex, elaborate philosophies and religion, religions is because it appeals to human ego. They offer the challenge of understanding and doing something complex and difficult. For the same reason some men scoff at the gospel. It calls on them to do nothing. It allows them to do nothing but accept in simple faith what God has done. The cross crushes man's sin and crushes man's pride. It also offers deliverance from sin and deliverance from pride. And so the question becomes, what are we going to do with it? You're listening to Walk in Truth with Pastor Michael Lance, and that was the second part of his teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 about how the crucifixion of Jesus is an example of God's wisdom. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael again shortly, but I wanted to remind you that we archive our programs on walkintruth.com, so you can listen anytime in addition to this fantastic radio station. We also podcast the program, so you can search Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Well, you may have come across this question before. Do people really get possessed by demons today? And people even have the question, can a Christian be demon-possessed? And I would say no uh, to that latter question. But the, the earlier question is, is demonic possession something that happens today? And to that, I would say yes, not only from my study of the Bible, which I think is an open and shut case, very clear that Demons are active and were active during the time of Jesus and beyond that, even to today, but also from some personal experience that I've had. And that's not my first argument, personal experience, but I did come across a case of a young man that I actually coached in Little League. And he was part of a Christian family, grew up in the church, knew the stories of the Bible and the gospel, but he got caught up in the New Age movement, and he started messing around with stuff, and he was invaded by a demon power, and it was a very frightening several months for him. But by God's grace, he was delivered, and I was part of that situation. And we tell that story on a DVD and teaching that we have that you can access at walkintruth.com on demon possession. It was really a whew, uh, just a heavy time, man, and just to watch God work and to see the power of evil. But 
the greater power of God, the awesome power of God. That story is told on a DVD available at walkintruth.com, walkintruth.com. On demon possession, we also have teaching on witchcraft and Wicca. If you have a friend or family member that's been messing with that, you can get insight. By the way, each of these teachings we did, the power of part of this is a personal testimony of a person who came out of demon possession, Wicca, and the New Age. We have a person who came out of uh, witchcraft and Wicca who will tell us their story about being in a household, a household that had that going on. Strange things. And then the New Age movement, Frank Sontag shared his testimony. We have that available. And you can order this whole set on the Dark Dangers of the Occult series at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Now, it's interesting. We're coming up to Halloween And we know that this can be a kind of a high holy day for people who practice some of this stuff. And we have an alternative to what is often a dark night for some, and it is called Harvest Fest. We do a Harvest Festival annually on Halloween night as a alternative, a safe place for your kids, teenagers, a place to get some great barbecue, hamburgers and hot dogs, games for the kids, lots of candy, worship an opportunity to even hear the gospel message and to bring an unsaved friend. It's Harvest Fest at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona. This is a free event, and you can find out information and directions when you download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app in your app store. So download the Living Truth app today. God bless you. We'll see you here. Tune in tomorrow for the conclusion of his teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 about how the crucifixion of Jesus is an example of God's wisdom. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. It's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.